if you want to be able to have more fluid conversations at work or with native speakers, or you want to be able to understand a movie from Hollywood without the subtitles, or you want to travel um, and use English you know, as an international language as you travel the world, these would all be good reasons to work on your pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Basically, it just it boils down to ease of communication and confidence. Like if you're not at all confident that you're going to understand what someone's saying to you or that they're going to understand you, it's really hard to put yourself out there and engage in that conversation, I think. Oh yeah, real lifers, citizens of the world. Welcome to the Real Life Global Movement, where our mission is to inspire, empower, and connect the world through English. We believe that English should be a fun and enriching part of your life that you can practice and enjoy whenever and wherever you want. Are you tired of boring lessons that suck the life out of your learning? Are you ready to step up your game and become a kick-ass English speaker? Well, we're here to guide and inspire you on your journey to true lifelong fluency. It's time to stop just learning English and start living it. Can again, aw oh, yeah? Oh yeah. yeah. What's going on? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chad from Real Life English, where we believe that listening to podcasts is a fun, natural, effective, and flowing or engaging way to learn English. So download this podcast now and listen to us while you're stuck in traffic. Reducing your accent. Or feeding the baby. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I'm joined here today in the very virtual studio uh, as we are all in different, uh, well, two different countries and uh, two different states in the United States. First of all, it's the man Justin Murray. What's up, Justin? Oh, yeah. Good to be here. Good to have you here. And also our special guest today uh, uh, from Rachel's English is Rachel herself. How are you going today, Rachel? I'm great. Hey, guys. (laughs) Well, it's uh, great to have you here in the, again, like I said, the the virtual studio. This is the second time we've met you. We're a very big fan of your work. And I think I told you this last time that we we chatted that uh, you've you've saved my butt many times when I haven't been prepared for an English class. And I just stroll into class and I put in a Rachel's English pronunciation video and everybody just loves it. It's a, it's a perfect savior for my unprepared English classes. That's so. awesome. Thanks for sharing the videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Uh, I know it's a, I, I think I told you this last time too. You've definitely made English pronunciation very cool. Everybody thought it was boring <laughs> before your videos. Oh, man, really? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Me personally, I guess I, I, you definitely shone a, a new light on English pronunciation for me. So that's awesome. And um, for those who don't know uh, too much about your work and who you are and, and kind of what you do, would you like to just give us a brief summary about Rachel and your, your channel and all, all, your different, all the different stuff you're doing online? Yeah, definitely. I'll try to be brief. I've been doing this for eight years. Um, so it feels hard to be brief, to talk about eight years. Oh, we, but, got, we got time. Uh, you background... can take as long as you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my background is, um, well, I started making the videos and posting them to YouTube when I was living in Germany. And I was, I was studying there. Um, I was sent there under a, a scholarship from Rotary. 
And uh, I went there to study German, but um, because I was a singer, I got it because I was studying um, opera um, and I was wanting to go abroad to work on a language and also to audition and to sing abroad as well. So in the school that I was studying, which was the Goethe Institute, I was hanging out with people from all over the world, not just German people, actually hardly even any German people. It was mostly people who were foreigners themselves. And um, there was this one kid in particular who, you know, wanted to sound like they do in the movies, wanted to sound American. And so I was giving him some tips and he said, you're really good at that. And I said, really? Oh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. And so I started making the videos and I had been studying a lot of foreign language myself because of the singing. Um, I would sing in French, German, Italian, uh, sometimes Spanish. So I was really interested in pronouncing things correctly because ultimately that was very important for what I was trying to do with the language. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to make the resource for English that I was wishing I could find for like French and German, for example, very specific on the pronunciation. Yeah. With, uh, when, when you were learning those languages, because you were learning them primarily to be able to sing in those languages, correct? Yes. Did you did you actually learn? I guess you didn't really learn the conversational stuff. Did, were you learning more so through the lyrics of those songs, and then just picking up words, uh, bits and pieces here and there, and then kind of putting that together, or did you take a more formal? A little bit, yeah. I had to take more formal language class. So in graduate school, I did have um, a class that was focused on the phonetics of the languages. Okay. The sounds yeah. that you will encounter um, and how to pronounce them nothing of conversation and (laughs) you know a a lot of opera is very old and (laughs) one time actually I was I used the word um gosh I I don't even know if I can remember it was from the magic flute um I believe it was vipe which meant wife in the context of the song but I was told that it was like an extremely archaic way Okay. <laughs> to refer to a woman or a partner. Um, so it's like someone you, you someone speaking use... Shakespearean English, you know, like, where, exactly, are, where exactly. are thy pencil? <laughs> yes. So even though, yes, I could, I could learn a couple words, but, but it was, certainly was not a way to learn conversation. So I did, in addition, take some conversation classes. Okay. That's awesome. Cool. And, uh, and, and from there you started develop. I mean, obviously you're developing your, your, uh, your, the different language skills and your singing skills and from there you started realizing you had a bit of a gift for for teaching phonetics and teaching uh, English pronunciation through your 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 German learning experience there with the rotary exchange yeah yeah it, it was really it was really founded there the experience of well for myself you know needing to study a foreign language needing to understand and be understood Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, also just coming at it from a real interest in the voice, I think probably more so than your average English teacher. My passion wasn't really languages or language learning. It was really the voice, the mechanism of it, how it works. And, you know, I spent the better part of a decade really focused on the, the voice and the subtleties of the tongue and the jaw and what tension does and, and this kind of thing. And I worked with some really amazing teachers and coaches. I learned a lot about my body and my vocal apparatus and the voice. And so I sort of started applying those things to pronunciation and to how I would teach pronunciation. And when I would work with a student, the the way that I would 
figure out what to say to him or her would be to imitate that person and then see, okay, what do I need to do differently to, to get the American sound from what they're doing? And so when I was able to, you know, I had a pretty good ear from all those years of training and singing. I was able to imitate them and then describe to them what needed to be different in order to get to the right sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty incredible there as far as like that imitation. You you had learned all those languages. You had practiced so much and you, you probably had a really good uh, repertoire of sounds to work with at that point right. to really, really uh, create the new sounds. Right. And also... Um... Well, I was actually, I was doing an interview with Fluency MC, and it was uh, being recorded by Simple English Videos. So here in Philly, we had this kind of cool little collaboration between the three of us. And Vicky of Simple English Videos has taught English forever, and she definitely comes at it from like an academic, a, a teacher. She's, you know, she's written a bunch of books. And she said, wow, you know, the subtleties that you know about the voice are completely different than what what I know about teaching and and all of this. And so I think that is sort of what has made what I'm doing just a little bit different. And it's also what's kept me really engaged because that's really where my interest is. And I do feel like I am able to teach things in a different way, in a new way. And that's what's exciting to me. And I, because I don't come from an academic background, I'm learning by doing. So I'm, I'm learning how to teach by teaching. Yeah. And so every time I'm working with a new student, I'm learning, you know, a new way to to teach a concept because it's a it's a conversation, it's a collaboration with the student. Mhm. And that's really cool as well how with your students uh when you said you were speaking like they were speaking, you mean you actually speak in English with the accent that your student kind of had when they were speaking the language, right? So it's kind of like that right. reverse kind of mimicry kind of thing and then trying to help right. putting yourself into their shoes and trying to help them uh, from their perspective. That's really cool. Yes. And <laughs> actually learning a lot about their native language as I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind – how is this – how are they pronouncing English so differently? Oh, they're doing these three things. These things must be the characteristics of their own native language. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Okay, so, so stepping back just a little bit, I'm really curious to know, this is the first thing I always talk with students about when, when people ask me, like, you know, I always ask them, like, you know, why do you want to improve your pronunciation? So why mm-hmm. should somebody improve their pronunciation? Um, there are a couple of reasons, but one thing that I always want to say first is, you know, I, I have this YouTube channel, I make these resources, but I certainly don't think that anyone needs to lose their accent. I don't think that there's anything wrong with speaking with an accent. And I, um, yeah, I, I think that, they're, that that's part of people's personality and part of what makes people interesting is, is the way they speak, the way they, lose, they use language. So that's first and foremost. No one has to lose their accent um, on my account. <laughs> However... <laughs> Of course, some people want to improve their pronunciation, not necessarily lose their accent entirely, but if you are needing to be understood um, very easily, very quickly in, in your work environment, for example, basically why do it is if it's getting in the way of what you want. If mm-hmm. you want to be able to have more fluid conversations at work or with native speakers, or you want to be able to understand a movie from Hollywood without the subtitles, or you want to travel um, and use English you know, as an international language as you travel the world, these would all be good reasons to work on your pronunciation. 
Mm-hmm. Basically, it just it boils down to ease of communication and confidence. Like if you're not at all confident that you're going to understand what someone's saying to you or that they're going to understand you, it's really hard to put yourself out there and engage in that conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially you... with native speakers a lot of times, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to add there because like, sometimes I even get confused between what's the difference between pronunciation and having like a, a perfect accent because I guess the accent is definitely related to kind of where you are from. I mean like in the U.S., around the United States, people actually have the, – the accent varies a lot, doesn't it? You have like the southerners, the northerners, the, each kind of state has a little bit of a different accent. So I guess when you, when you refer to pronunciation, you're, you're kind of referring to – that uh, the, the the flow of how the words kind of flow together, and I guess de- independent on what your accent is, you can still work and have really perfect pronunciation, right? Would you say, or do you think, you know, if someone speaks, let's say, with a uh, a Brazilian accent, do you think they can still have and carry that Brazilian accent, but still hold those um, those those really good pronunciation um, practices? Certainly, I think someone can maintain their accent and still. A, be easily understood, mm-hmm. and B, pick up some of the American characteristics mm-hmm. without necessarily going all the way and losing their accent. So the question I was going to ask there is like, so what about uh, the difference between speaking with a, a native speaker versus speaking with a non-native speaker? Does it actually, do you think it hurts your accent? It hurts your, your speaking if you, if you practice with a, a non-native speaker? I don't think it hurts your accent. Um, because you likely won't be trying to imitate that person. I think um, anytime you're practicing, anytime you are speaking out loud, that is a good thing. And a, a potential advantage to speaking with a non-native speaker is that person might be speaking more at your level with vocabulary and that kind of thing than a native speaker who, without thinking of it, might just be speaking, you know, using a more sophisticated vocabulary, speaking very quickly. Of course, it's great to speak with native speakers to work on those things, to work on imitation. But working with a non-native speaker uh, is great, too. If you're you're practicing, that is amazing. And and if you're speaking with somebody who's maybe speaking more slowly, maybe using words that um, are new to you but kind of on your level, then that's, mm. I think, the perfect way to pick up vocabulary words. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that when you were actually in, in Germany, right, a lot of the actual German that you were practicing was with the other students, not necessarily as many actual German people. Is that right? That's right. I did have a language partner that I met in, in the city who was German, and mm. all we did was speak English. <laughs> oh, no. English was so amazing, <laughs> and we just became friends, and so we stopped really practicing. But okay. yes, when I was hanging out with um, everyone else there in the language school, we were almost exclusively speaking German. And so that's really where my practice came in. It, it was almost not with native German speakers at all. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Did you uh, consume media in, in German, for example? Did I did. Use that? Uh-huh. Was that yeah, I found it very hard to read in German. Um, but I did um, buy a little antenna for my computer, and I was able to pick up a few stations. Um, and I definitely think that was great for my pronunciation. I certainly couldn't understand everything that was happening, but when I could pick up on a word, um, if I didn't know it, I would look it up and then I would just practice it over and over. And I would immediately tune out what else was happening 
you know, in, in this scene on TV. And I would just, in my mind, rewind that word over and over and do it several times. And I actually, I love, I love doing that. I love imitating a native speaker. Um, it's so fun to, to play with imitation and to play with the sounds in your mouth. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you do that as a as a as a child? Maybe like I mean, I remember growing up. I would always like imitate like uh, you know funny scenes from like maybe sitcoms that I would watch and stuff like that. I mean, my brothers would always joke around and always try to imitate an American accent. And I think I don't know. I think that for for an Australian, I think we can imitate Americans a lot better just because we're so uh, we just have so much American media, kind of you know TV uh, movies and things like right. that. And I, I don't think Americans have. Uh, North Americans have a lot of Australian media, so when they try to like, like imitate me to kind of make fun of the Australian accent, they they do a really bad job. <laughs> totally, it's all crocodile Dundee, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. That's not a knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I don't think I did much accent imitating as a kid because, as you said, I don't think that I had that much exposure to it. But I definitely. Um, sang all the time as a kid along with all sorts of different music. Um, And so that is sort of similar. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not a different accent, but I think a lot of singers kind of take on their own little vocal persona when Mm -hmm. they're singing. Um, So who knows if that helped or not? Would would that be a a practice that you would suggest? I mean, like there are a lot of kind of imitation practices, like shadowing is kind of like imitating a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Do you give uh, any of your students any any particular way of using imitation in a, for example, a homework exercise or you give them something to do outside of the classroom to help? Definitely. I, I think imitation is extremely important. Shadowing isn't something that I've assigned, um, and I would definitely be open to it if a student of mine wanted to work that way. I, I just have never used that tool myself, so mm-hmm. I haven't assigned it. But yep. um, I definitely... Uh, have made an incredible amount of audio for imitation that I give my students. And I tell them, you know, it's male and it's female, and I try to have a variety of voices so it's not all just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell them, you know, it's it's really important to work on the imitation, just, you know, listening and spitting it back exactly how you hear it, kind of experimenting with the sounds in your mouth and how does it feel. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, beyond the experimentation of imitation, there's also the muscle memory training of imitation that I think is really important. So when I give someone, like, for example, if someone's working on a, on a sound in my online school, I have a school called Rachel's English Academy, and I'm I have some vowels in there. I'm teaching all of the sounds. And with, for example, the uh as in butter vowel, I don't have like 10 words with that sound. I have over 100 words with that sound. Mm. And I want people to just do it over and over and feel what that's like to just constantly repeat that sound. Um, Because I really think that repetition is the way to make it happen. You know, you can learn the concept. Yeah. um, And that's that's super great for your mind and for, you know, being able to say what you know, but it, it does not really affect your accent at all. Mm-hmm. If you don't practice with it, retrain your muscles and really get it into your body. That's one thing I'm always, you know, hammering into my students' heads. You've got to get it into your body by repetition. Mm-hmm. So you're saying uh, that, that that's great. Cause I, I, I've had the same problem when I like, for example, teaching, I don't know, let's say the, the TH sound, a lot of Brazilians, for example, they just can't, can't really make that sound very well so 
you know, in the classroom they practice like once or twice and probably they go home and never practice it again and they, they, they don't realize, I think what you're saying is like you have to do it at least 100 times instead of, is that what you're saying, instead of giving them yeah. 10 repetitions, they have to do it at least 100 times because the, the right. muscle memory has to, it starts to become more of a habit as opposed to have to consciously think, how do I pronounce that sound as opposed to I've done right. it so many times, it's just natural now. That's exactly right, because if you have to stop and think about it, you're never going to use it in conversation, mm -hmm. right? You might use it if you're, like, recording one word or something, but that's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. that useful. Actually, I, I, had, I read an article, I think it was in The Times, and I shared it on my Facebook page about an actress who is being interviewed. She's doing a one-woman show, and she's putting on all these different accents. And one of her lines I thought was so great was something like, you have to practice it so much that you think it's not sane anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, yes, you have to practice an insane amount of times. I mean, that's what professionals do when they are learning an accent. So mm -hmm. I really think that's what anyone has to do, you know, when they're trying to perfect something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's lots of, I think with English as well, there's lots of ways to kind of cheat the pronunciation. I mean, just again... I, I should stop talking bad about Brazilians because the the bad habit here. But instead of <laughs> saying the the th sound like them, that's say they they would substitute that for a d sound and say like dem, you know. And it's like it's a right. really bad habit. And I always try to say, hey, don't say that. Try to say the th, even if you have to say, even if you stop and have to think about it, because right. it just sets up the bad habit. Then you know, three, four, five years later, they're still using the d instead of the th sound. Right. Yeah, I was actually, I was teaching a class today and I said, you know what, you already have a habit. Mm -hmm. You know, wh whether you've thought about it or not, whatever you naturally do is your habit. So it is going to take time to shift that habit. It's, it's not like you're starting from scratch, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Really no one is unless they're learning it from birth. Um, okay, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Do you like Why, that idiom? Yes. Well, I was, gonna, I was also going to ask you what uh, to start from scratch means. Oh, gosh. Okay, all these idioms. <laughs> yeah, there's a ton from that I... scratch. <laughs> I love it when you have an idiom and you're trying to explain it and you use another idiom. I'm going to try not <laughs> yeah. to do that. When you start from scratch, it means, um, you know, with nothing pre-existing. Mm -hmm. So an adult who's learning English is not going to be starting from scratch because they already have language as a thing, their own native language. Um, so it's in this particular case, when someone is learning a new sound in English and they don't have it in their sound, they tend to substitute it for a sound that's similar in their own native language, like you just pointed out with the yeah. D for the TH. Exactly, yeah. And then when you cool. lose your train of thought, like I just did, <laughs> which I'm a master of doing, um, <laughs> it means that you were saying something and you started saying it, but somehow, somewhere in the middle of saying it, you forgot what exactly <laughs> the point that you were making. And then you just have to stop and give up because yeah. you lost your train of thought. That's okay. We do that all the time. Uh, especially when, especially in the middle of a, a, a pronunciation lesson. Um, there was one thing that uh, we also briefly touched upon uh, last time we chatted as well, which is something that I know Justin and I really have learned a lot from your channel, and we've actually implemented a lot into what we we teach, like through the blog and through our videos and even in the classroom, is this whole concept of, and it lines up with pronunciation, um, content and function words. 
that's something that I didn't even really know about before uh, I saw an awesome video of you teaching it and then I from there I started researching more and started teaching it and it was a, it was a an eye opener there you go another idiom um, great just, idiom yeah it just kind of showed me that there is a way to teach these rhythmic patterns that we have in English that I previously didn't really think about or I didn't know that it even existed and I think when I discovered how to teach this I realized that these um, these what well, I guess it's kind of related to connected speech right the way that we join the words together the way that we cut uh, reduce certain words and kind of um, emphasize other words is actually a something that you can teach and show people how to do that um, I know it's kind of a, a, a large topic but you think you could have quickly break down these main ideas of what content and function words are and how a student can actually by by knowing that knowing how to use this can really help their pronunciation and it will especially their listening comprehension i guess at the start right and then start implementing yeah. it into their own pronunciation yeah well to start i just want to say that i also didn't know we did this until i started teaching pronunciation and then I was like hold on what is happening here and yeah. I kind of did some investigation um yeah it's the idea that Americans don't fully pronounce every word um and I think that's actually news to a lot of people because mm -hmm. we don't think about how we speak at all no. um and so function words so we have two kinds of words content words and those are generally the verbs nouns adjectives and adverbs and in a sentence, they will be the most important words. Their stressed syllables will be the longest, the loudest, the most clear syllables in the sentence. And then we have function words, um, things like helping verbs or prepositions. And these words are, are less important for content. They kind of tie the content words together. And so these function words, we tend to say very quickly and sometimes unclearly will change a sound or will drop a sound. And so when you sort of set it up like that and then you start studying, well, what do, what do function words sound like? How do they reduce? Then exactly as you said, you start to notice them in conversation and it can really improve your listening comprehension. Mm -hmm. um, I always use, for example, the word for. I don't know why. I just I love that word. I love that reduction. Maybe it's <laughs> the first one that I really noticed. Okay. Um, but if you're expecting to hear for, and instead you're hearing fur. It makes sense that you wouldn't know what you were hearing, that mm -hmm. you wouldn't put two and two together. But if you mm -hmm. know, okay, Americans are generally going to say fur. And then mm -hmm. you listen to a bunch of sentences with that word, and you're hearing that Americans are reducing it to fur, for work, for mm -hmm. school, for the party. Then your skill for noticing that improves. And so first your listening comprehension will improve and, and then hopefully your pronunciation, your accent will improve if you can imitate it. Yeah, yeah. So f uh, uh, this is like, um, this would be like connected speech, right? So when using the uh, those words that get reduced, that would be, I guess, the main way that we really join the words together, correct? That's the, the yes, biggest difficulty say... to have. Yeah, you can't reduce a word and then just leave it on its own. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense in its reduced state if it's attached to the words around it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Cool. And is this something that you uh, you teach with your, your, your course, the Rachel's English uh, online course? You have, uh, uh, yeah, I guess, these are actually... repetitive exercises. It would be great for this. Yeah, and I, I have a, a couple of courses 
conversation courses where we take um, the speech of a native speaker and we find all the function words that they're using in any given sentence mm-hmm. and can really can really focus in on how they're attaching them to the words around them. And I mm-hmm. like to take just a little slice of audio and I like to loop it three times because okay. I think the ear really starts to hear it in a different way and starts to get it in a different way. A mm-hmm. more musical way, perhaps, yeah. and um, I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things to do is to take the speech of a native speaker and to analyze it. And people love it. It just it opens up all these doors. Like, oh my gosh, that's happening, that's happening, and all of a sudden they're getting all of these things that are being done that mm-hmm. they maybe noticed but but didn't really understand. Sure. At the beginning. And I guess that's important to say that they. First of all, they have to kind of like get it. So when you say get it, you mean they they understand that it exists and understand that that's how people speak. I think when when I first show people this, they get a little overwhelmed and think, oh, I'm never going to be able to speak like that. But I, I, I this is my advice. I'd say don't worry too much about speaking like that, but just see if you can actually understand it first. And then with time, I guess it's going to get easier and easier to implement it into your own spoken English and your own pronunciation. I'm not yeah, sure I agree. And how you'd say it. yeah, yeah, and I, I also think that you know people might hear um, an analysis of a sentence and be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe they're pronouncing those words that way." I'm never gonna get it because in their mind, there's like a million words that change, but but there's actually not. The more conversation you study, the more you notice the same reductions are coming up over and over and over, and then I think it becomes a little less overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. Because you just see that it's wow. It's actually all the same stuff. At, at first, it seems like right. a lot, but when you see, it, it's very. It's actually probably finite, right? It's, it's very limited. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I should uh, just as a as a joke because uh, uh, I I recently just came back to Australia. I haven't been here for five years, I think. And I, I went to my brother's wedding, and it's funny seeing like all these Australian people because the way that they speak, I haven't been around Australian people for so long, and I was listen to how they speak and I was thinking, wow, I, this would be great to kind of like analyze and try to find the, the Australian kind of connected speech because it's so different. Well, I guess yeah. it's, it's, I, maybe it's not different the way that they connect the words, but just little pronunciation differences. I think the underlining, um, the foundation of connected speech is probably the same. It's just that they have a little bit of a different twang to the way that they, they pronounce right. it. <laughs> kind of right. nasally twang. Whenever I'm... Whenever I'm teaching something, I'm always careful to say in American English this because I don't know British English or Australian English well mm-hmm. enough to know is it is it the same there too? Uh-huh. Probably similar, but but I I couldn't say for sure. Yeah, yeah. What did uh, what did all your friends, your brother's friends, have to say to you, Chad, about your English? Oh, everybody thinks I speak uh, somewhat American. They're like, what's the deal with the American accent? You know. <laughs> But that's, wow. that's yeah, I think it's, I, again, I think we've uh, spoken about this before, the fact that even probably Australian English is starting to sound a lot more like American English. I mean, some of the words that we use, like we obviously, uh, we, where we come from, uh, we're, we're part of the Commonwealth, so our English is based on British English, but now with all the influences of American media and music and things like this, we're starting to have a lot more American vocabulary and even a lot of pronunciation changes, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I haven't read any studies about this, but just from me like kind of growing up in Australia, being away for quite a while and now coming back, I can definitely notice it in the way that people are speaking English here. It's changing. 
I actually read an article on that within the past month about how American English is is going back and influencing British English pronunciations. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely happening. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that these uh, the way that we're speaking is like, for example, talking about connected speech. I think it's even getting small, like more and more and more connected because you know would generally mm-hmm. people would say uh, you know I am going to go became I'm gonna go. And now I've noticed in the U.S. to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go. Yeah, I did a video on that. No, I think you're right. I think that things, I think that life and relationships are becoming more casual. Mm. I think that, you know, we're losing formality over time. And I think that is part of where more reductions and more connection, more connected speech is coming in, is with the increased or the decreased formality of everything, including speech. Mm-hmm. I believe you don't enjoy, though, I think you've told us this before, you don't enjoy when people start using connected speech when they text message. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. I refuse to write cuz in a text message. What about... It's great. It is great in spoken English. I hate it. It's not, it's not okay in written English, I don't think. <laughs> I guess it's people just imitating the way that they actually speak. So it's it's it might be a good way to kind of pick up on what some of the uh, these connected speeches have the pronunciation. It but I guess it be. does look it does look really uh, bad, probably especially in a for, some kind of a formal message. I guess right. I mean, I get emails from people who are wanting to ask me a question, and they are using these kinds of things. And I'm sure that they don't realize that it it reads poorly. Yeah, you're right. I would, I would have to agree with you. It does look a little informal and maybe a little a little tacky. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us here today, Rachel. And just before we wrap up this podcast, would you like to just quickly tell everyone how they can find out more about yourself and Rachel's English and all of your great content? Yeah, definitely. So I make a new video every week on my YouTube channel, and I also post it to Facebook and to my website, rachelsenglish.com. So you can find me there. And then I also have a a mailing list that you can get on where you get the the free lesson sent to your email every week, rachelsenglish.com slash newsletter. And then I'm very excited about this Mm -hmm. online school that I I launched just two months ago. It's called Rachel's English Academy, and that's at rachelsenglishacademy.com. And that is a school where I really focus on conversation skills. And that's where I get crazy with the training. You know, it's like in the YouTube videos, you can learn a concept and that's great. But uh, the academy is where I really take it to the next step with so many training materials that nobody would say I don't have enough. Is this when you become the drill sergeant with your training? A little bit, yeah. No, definitely, because as I said, I, I think that's the way to go from knowing something to embodying something, yeah. What does embody mean? Embody means to, gosh, well, it means to have it in your body, like with your whole being. So it's like not just to learn a concept, but with your whole body, with your whole being to, to use that concept. That was a really good explanation. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's finish up this awesome podcast right there. It has been a pleasure hanging out with you today, Rachel, and just <laughs> picking your brain. Thank you. All this awesome information. Hopefully, you guys listening are going to go and start implementing some of this stuff now and also going to go and check out Rachel's awesome YouTube channel. She has over a gazillion subscribers and a ton of 
great, amazing content there. So uh, how about just to finish up this podcast, we get a uh, an all year from three parts of the world. What do you guys think? One, two, three. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, guys. And like always, you'll hear from us <laughs> next week on Real Life Radio.